Spotlight. I'm Tess Vigland, and as we work, women are reevaluating their relationship with ambition. Just in general, I've kind of taken um, a few steps back. I don't work as aggressively as I used to. I'm 39 now, so I'm like no longer 20. I, I want more work-life balance, so I don't work at 150% every day. I'm, I don't want to say what percentage, just in case anybody from my job is listening. This is As We Work from The Wall Street Journal, a show about the changing workplace and everything you need to know to navigate it. The voice you just heard was Cecilia Jorian, who manages client relationships at a consulting firm. We talked to her on the street in Brooklyn, New York. The last couple of years have prompted a widespread reevaluation of work and where it fits into our lives. Today, we're exploring what that means for the career ladder, especially for women, and the pressure to always be climbing it. That's coming up. The Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin. Investment professionals reveal their best mentors, how they find their next great idea, and a few funny stories. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. American Funds Distributors, Inc. It's Women's History Month. Let's all do a Rosie the Riveter flex, okay? A three, two, one, and flex. Great. Thank you. According to the U.S. Department of Labor, women made up just 20% of the American workforce in the 1920s. Today, that number is 47%. Looking back on my career, I'm grateful to have grown up in the wake of second wave feminism. I'm a child of the 70s and 80s, and for women of my generation... Having a work life was never a question. Was it likely that I'd make less money than my male counterparts? Yes. Did I face the potential for misogyny and harassment in the workplace? Yes. Power blazers with obscene shoulder pads? Yes. But I never questioned whether I'd get to have a job or even aspire to a top job. That aspiration, that ambition seemed normal at the time, even expected. Of course you wanted to climb the career ladder. Of course you wanted to get to the top of it. By 2013, the expectation became explicit that you should want and pursue those things as a matter of policy. You may have heard this referred to as leaning in. That idea was always a little controversial, and there was pushback. Then came the pandemic and the she-session, where women were laid off in higher numbers than men. Meanwhile, they took on more responsibilities at home and made more sacrifices in their careers to look after kids and others in need of care. Many women left the workforce and haven't returned. But that doesn't mean ambition is dead. It just might look a little different. Our guests today both made it to the top echelons of their industries. But the pandemic brought them to a crossroads where they had to decide whether to keep climbing that ladder or step off or around or to a different one. And they ended up making very different decisions. Pamela Alexander is the Director of Community Development for the Ford Motor Company Fund. That's the philanthropic arm of Ford Motor Company. And she joins us from Detroit. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me here today. And Nicole Johnson-Scales left a 20-year career in banking, most recently as a senior vice president at Fifth Third Bank in Chicago. Prior to the pandemic, she started her own business called Design Your Professional Joy. She's now a full-time executive career strategist. 
So glad you could be with us as well. Thank you for having me, Tess. Happy to be here. Pamela Alexander, let's start with you. Give us a sense of what your day is like in community development at Ford. As a director at Ford Fund, my day is really spent working with and in communities and with our nonprofit partners to develop and implement programs that are helping people improve from a social and economic perspective. If you're born in the bottom roughly 20% in this country economically, you have a 4% chance of making it to the top 20%. For me, that's not an acceptable number. So I spend my days working with partners to implement programs to change that number, but also the best parts of my days are when I am working directly with people and communities that are benefiting from our programs. Can you give us a sense of what you've done there at Ford? So I was in finance for a while, but my heart was always in communities. That's what my degree's in. That's what my previous experience had been in. So I've had a bit of a journey. I've actually changed careers a couple of times while I've been at Ford. Okay, let me turn to you, Nicole Johnson-Scales, and hear a little bit about your career trajectory. Uh, You got your start in banking through an internship that grew into a two-decade career. Uh, Give us a sense of how you got to the VP level before leaving in 2021. So I love Pamela's story because it it resonates so much with mine. I spent about seven or eight years in a manager role uh, reporting to someone who was a part of the executive leadership team and um, just really grew in the role. And I remember having an opportunity to have a conversation with the president at the time of the bank. He was kind enough to say that he wanted to be a mentor for me. And I remember our first conversation and he said, Nicole, what do you have a degree in? And I told him that I had a degree, an undergraduate degree in communication, that I had an MBA. And he said, really? He said, I thought that you would have had a job in social work. Hmm. And so that was an aha moment for me that I recognized that while I was so passionate about investing in communities, working with nonprofit organizations, that I wasn't showing up as a business leader. And so that was an opportunity for my boss to develop me in a way to help me to, one, recognize that community development wasn't just about handing out checks and kissing babies. It was really around (laughs) how do we leverage these resources, this philanthropic approach to also make it a win-win for both the bank to help it reach its strategic goals, as well as the goals of the community. You still kissing babies, though? Always. (laughs) (laughs) Always. Always. We'll talk a little bit about your decision uh, from last year uh, in a moment, but give us a sense of kind of what you do now. I uh, lead my own executive coaching and consulting business. So I help organizations increase the capacity and talent and empower their leaders to get to the next level of their success so that really just leveraging an investment in their development. And then I also do individual uh, coaching as well, particularly for people like me who have gotten to a point in their career where they've had success in their career, but they recognize that they want more and aren't clear how to get it. So the most recent McKinsey Women in the Workplace study found that representation for women of color in C-suites is just 4%. Given that number, I'm curious for both of you as Black women, how you saw your trajectory unfolding back in the beginning. Did you have ambitions to get to where you did? Let's start with you, Pamela. You know, I think we always have ambitions to be successful. I think The secret for me has been I never really said, hey, I want to be at this certain level in a certain company. For me, it's been about this is the impact I want to have, which is kind of how 
you know, I've judged my level of success. And obviously, when you get to a certain level, your ability to have impact is greater. I guess, you know, as I thought about it, I never really thought about it. I obviously wanted to be successful. I wanted to be recognized. I wanted to move up in an organization. But for me, it's more about what does my position and my level in the organization allow me to do relative to my passion. Mm. How about you, Nicole? You know, I've got to be honest, similar to Pamela, I knew that I wanted to be successful. What I struggled with is what I really wanted to do. And what, what Pamela said around impact, I don't think I really understood that that's what I was searching for, that my next step needed to be aligned with the impact that I wanted to have until probably about three or four years ago. I did not necessarily sit in the driver's seat of my career. I, in a lot of cases, thought that my good work would be something that people would acknowledge and 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 reward me for. And so I, I see that particularly for women, for um, people of color, is that sometimes we're just so grateful to to be in the seat that we don't realize that we have the power and the authority and the agency to to drive towards success in our careers in a way that is in alignment with how we want to how we want to show up the impact that we want to have the strengths and talents that we have within us and so i don't think i i really embraced my agency in that way until a few years ago hmm I would agree with that. You know, as, as you talk, I recall a conversation. I was, we were doing some work with the astronaut Mae Jemison. And someone, I think it was a youth, asked her a question, oh, did you always want to be an astronaut? She, when, when, when she's asked that, or at least in this instance, she said, I didn't necessarily want it to be an astronaut. I wanted to go to space. Huh. Being an astronaut was the way for me to go to space. You know, and I hear that in your answer as well. A lot of it says, this is what I want to do. And this tool, this accomplishment, this level within corporate America is how I can get that done. I love that. I love it too, Pamela, particularly because it's really how I think when I work with my clients who are looking for that career transition, when we talk about how we want to move there, it's this notion of what's the impact that you want to have. So often we're, we're chasing roles as opposed to the impact that we want to have leading our decision making as it relates to our careers. That's such an interesting reframing of you know, the decision-making process that we all, I think, think we go through, which is, oh, I want to get here and here and here and here, and don't necessarily think of that impact that you're talking about. So it's interesting to hear that you both had that realization at some point. I'd like to talk a little bit about the impact of the last couple of years on both of you. Pamela, you've been at Ford almost your entire career mm-hmm. and, and really moved up the ladder there. Were there moments along the way when you second-guessed your path, uh, you found yourself reweighing what you'd started, either before the pandemic or during it? You know, early in my career when I was in finance, I was literally within a day of, of resigning from Ford because it wasn't my passion. I wanted to go a different way. You, you're always taking these times to kind of think, is this the right direction? And I will say You were that, within a day of leaving? Yes. Wow. I, yes. I was going to um, give notice the next day. And as things happened in the world, I got a call to join the community side of the company that afternoon. And I remember there was, um, I think, a journal article back in like September 2020 about women and how the pandemic was affecting women in the workplace. And that that was an aha moment for a lot of women and an aha moment for me that kind of made me think about it. I will say, you know, it made me kind of stop and think, do I need to reassess? Should I reassess? I think we've all been reassessing, you know, what we're doing and is this the right path? Uh, Because everything's changed about how we do everything. The world is tilted because of the pandemic. Can you take us a little bit through that 
that kind of decisive moment for you as you were evaluating whether you wanted to continue on your path or perhaps start a new one? Yeah. What, what was that like kind of mentally and emotionally? And, and how did you arrive at that decision? Well, you know, it was interesting because when that article came out, I was kind of forwarding it to a lot of people and saying, we need to keep an eye on this. And um, what are we going to do? And, and is there a way we can be of assistance, you know, through our women's programming? And then I kind of said to myself, wait a minute, I need to stop and think about me. And, and what does this mean for me? Because I'd been so busy with the response and, and working that I hadn't stopped to think, well, what does that mean? And I basically got to the point because I support communities, I couldn't see myself walking away from that in absence of something that allowed me to double down and do have an even greater impact. Mm. Nicole, you obviously made a decision in 2021 as well, but you had already started the process of starting your own business. So clearly there were some moments before the pandemic when you were wondering if you should continue with that ambition. Can you talk us through that and then how the pandemic changed things for you? Sure. So one of the challenges that I had uh, been experiencing probably five or six years uh, before I made the decision is that I, I felt stuck in my career and I was not clear in terms of how I wanted to move forward. And it really was frustrating for me because I'm driven, I'm ambitious, but I didn't have clarity. And I wasn't sure how I wanted to move forward. And I see myself as a person who you put a plan together and you execute and I'm, you know, I can't get past the, the strategy, the idea <laughs> of the strategy of the career, let alone executing it. So it started impacting my confidence a little bit. And um, I was having a conversation with a friend of mine who was also a coach, Linnell Harris. And he said, you know, Nicole, why don't we, why don't we engage formally in coaching? And, and I was all in. And, and when I recognized the through line of my work, I had the courage to say, I want to coach. And it was hard to say it out loud, right? Because, you know, I, I would, as he called it, would get bullied by the how. How am I going to do this? How mm. am I going to do this with a full-time job? How would I make a living of this? I've never been a CEO before. How would I do that? How, how, how? And he said, Nicole, don't get bullied by the how. And so I said, all right, well, you know what? Why don't I just take a step forward? I'll get certified as a coach. I'll see where it takes me. And here's an opportunity for me to have even more influence on black and brown communities. And recognizing that through my partnership with leaders, with institutions, with organizations, it empowers them to do even more. And so I had to begin to release the identity of me being a corporate executive and lean into this new identity of, of being a CEO. Was there anything about COVID times that also played into that decision? Anything that you, that you were going through or learning about yourself? For sure. COVID enabled me to breathe. Like I, I really was able to breathe. And it allowed me to recognize what I want in my life and what I no longer wanted. And I recognize that what I was doing now at this point in my life is chasing freedom. Freedom to serve the way that I want to serve, freedom to do the work in the way that I want to do the work, freedom to do the work where I want to do the work. The, the experience, although very difficult, gave me permission to think about what's possible versus what was. All right, we are speaking with Pamela Alexander and Nicole Johnson-Scales, both high-powered Black female executives who've made different decisions about where they want to take their careers 
coming out of the pandemic. I, can I can I say that yet? <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> that we're coming out of it? I don't know. When we come back, we're going to dive further into those decisions, what they might signal for women coming up behind them, and how they both reflect a new pandemic-generated reality. Stay with us. The Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin. Investment professionals reveal their best mentors, how they find their next great idea, and a few funny stories. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. American Funds Distributors, Inc. We're talking with Pamela Alexander and Nicole Johnson-Scales, and we're going to have a conversation now about how your experiences are reflective of today's career trajectories and and kind of what they signal for women coming up behind you. Uh, You both have a fair amount in common, some very unique perspectives on corporate life. The pandemic has been hard on working women generally, but also women in the corporate sector specifically. Is the role of ambition for women in the C-suite or aiming for the C-suite changing? Pamela, want to take a stab at this, the question of ambition? You know, I think that because of the pandemic, I think the C-suite and the ambition to be in the C-suite, I think one of the important things that's changed is the behaviors and the culture of the C-suite, because so often that's what also keeps women out of C-suites. It stops us when we're at lower levels because of tensions and workloads and work-life balance and expectations and family responsibilities that a lot of women lead. But I think something that's changed, you've got women in the C-suite who are vice presidents of companies who are working in different states. They're working remotely. You know, that culture of this is how a C-suite operates and this is how we interact has changed so dramatically. It's going to enable women to not look up and say, well, I don't want to have to give up my family. I don't want to have to do that, you know, move and things like some of those barriers that stopped women earlier in their careers where, the, you know, women made some very difficult choices. And I know as a working mother, you you never feel like you're getting it quite right sometimes. So I think this culture shift we've had in the C-suite um, because of COVID about how we can be successful and work, because a lot of what stops a lot of women is looking up and going, that's not the choice I want to have to make to be successful. And I think that we're seeing some changes in the C-suite that help women see that there's other ways to do that. So in some ways, the pandemic actually gives you hope for for increased opportunities for women to to follow their ambitions, uh, even into the C-suite. In some ways, yes. Because if you can't look up and see someone like yourself, you kind of go, well, I'm not going to get there because I'm on a different path. I'll just add to some of the, the the women that I've I speak with through my work. One of the things I think that they're recognizing is that they've always been ambitious about work and they want to be more ambitious about their personal life. Mm-hmm. And it, it's this you know question about how do I go about doing it? And so, you know, it's well, how would you do it at work? You'd, you'd come up with the goal, you'd put the goal together, you put the action steps together. But I think that there, to, to Pamela's point, there's been a balance of what we have to do and who we have to be in order to be in that C-suite and recognizing that they have the power to invest more into their personal lives. And then, but really getting clear in terms of how, how they achieve that. Mm-hmm. I love that ambition at home. 
I mentioned the McKinsey Women in the Workplace report earlier, and it also found that senior level women are one and a half times more likely than their male counterparts to think about downshifting or leaving entirely because of COVID-19. So I want to talk about what we lose when we lose women at the top. I want to ask both of you, was this a consideration when you made your decision to stay or leave? And what are your thoughts on the impact of that? Pamela, let's start with you. That absolutely came into play. I've always mentored and things like that, you know, and tied the company because mentors were so important to me um, coming up through the system. But, you know, it's interesting when it's kind of a funny story when when COVID hit <laughs> um, and we were sent home. One of the first things I did, which normally I didn't do, I went and I I had my hair put back in braids just in a ponytail because I said, hmm. I'm going to be working really hard. I'm not going to have time to deal with my hair. Right. And then we went remote and a woman that I knew. Uh, so we were on the Zoom or something, a woman um, that. I knew from Ford that I kind of passed going to the cafeteria. She reached out to me. She said, I saw you in the meeting and I saw you have, have, you have braids in your hair and your hair's back in a ponytail. I said, I'm really busy. I don't have time to deal with my hair right now. I'm dealing with COVID um, situations and response. And she said, it makes me think that maybe I can wear braids in my hair at work. And, mm. and what that said to me is when you're at a certain level and you're doing certain things in a company and you're in the C-suite or wherever you are, people are watching that you don't even know are watching. You're a role model or an influence on a lot of women that you don't even know you're influencing. So what would that mean uh, for communities and other women in Ford? Not because of ego or anything like that, but, you know, what would that mean if I stepped away? It it occurred to me. Absolutely. It was a part of the consideration. Nicole? I I thought about it as, as well. At the time, I was the only leader of color, part of the executive team, uh, one of two women, a part of the executive team. And I thought about the impact that it would make on on the company. When you leave, you want to leave, hand off the, the baton. And I remember having a conversation with the, the region president to say, here is are the characteristics I think of that will be important for the next person in the role. And I do think it needs to be a person of color. It's important from it from an external facing perspective, right? We need to have people that look like the community, particularly in a community role. But if we lose the diverse experience and perspective at the table that a person of color can bring, then it's it, it's lessening our ability to be as strong as we are as as a leadership team. And so uh, the bank was very responsive. The region president agreed. For many years, I was one of a few women. And so it was important for me to not only help the employees of color see themselves in me, but also women to see themselves in, in me as well. And so I'd be the one in the room of black and blue suits with a fuchsia dress on because (laughs) the dress made me feel great. Power dress. Yes, it was a power dress. And it was an opportunity for me to show the women in the room that you can be what I had, my version of feminine, in this male environment. Did a person of color replace you? Yes. 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 So kudos to the bank for yeah for for listening, responding, also seeing the need, and um, being very intentional about making sure the pipeline was was reflective of a person mm. of color. Yeah, and it's interesting when you talk about that responsibility that you felt, Nicole. You know that pressure that we all feel to make sure that 
we're both bringing that that voice to the table, but also paving a way and, and leaving a path behind and a path forward. As I did my reassessment, you know, it's and you see a lot of women that are changing careers right now. You know, if I were to change career, it'd have to be for something amazing because, again, you'd want these people mm-hmm. to say, wow, well, maybe she left, but look what she left for. You know, there's that there is that pressure we put on ourselves to set that example and to make sure that that path moving forward is somewhat paved. Pamela, you already mentioned one of your mentors. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I have to say, when you get further along in your career, some of the ways that, that we see the greatest rewards, at least I know for me, is through mentoring, uh, making sure you're there for those coming up through the ranks mm-hmm. of whatever industry you're in. And this is one way, you know, potential way to combat the idea that, that you have to stick around, right, mm-hmm. in order to make a difference. I wonder if either of you have a mentoring story you'd like to share uh, where you were able to to reach down or back and help another woman to either cope with their position uh, or ascend. Um, Nicole, thoughts? I, I, to be honest, there are several stories, but I think what one of the things that I'm really proud of is when I left the bank and it was announced, how many people just reached out to me to tell me how much they appreciated my guidance, how they were inspired by my leadership, how they appreciated the time that I took to help them through difficult challenges. And so being able to walk away knowing that that was part of my legacy on these individuals was just, it was it was so very meaningful to me. Pamela? I would totally agree. If, if I could just tell a quick story, one of the mentors I was blessed to have in my life was Dr. Dorothy Height who, as many know, was the woman at the table with Dr. King and and Abernathy. You know, she was the female member of of the big six. A lot of people refer to her as. And one of the things she always told me is if she took a picture with that group, when the picture went to print, not because of the group, but whoever sent the picture to print, she found that if she stood on the edge of the picture, they'd crop her out. And so she said, Pamela, you know, I had to change my approach. I'd wait till they were about to take the picture and I'd jump in the middle and they couldn't crop me out. And so the advice that I always give that she gave me that is so in my heart to my mentees, no matter who they are, is she always said, don't put yourself in a place where they can crop you out of the picture. I think one thing that the pandemic has allowed, it's it's because we're all in Zoom all the time, you know, even casual <laughs> touch points and happy hours. And we call them thirsty Thursdays with some of the folks I get together <laughs> with. Um, it's, it's allowed me, I think, to keep in touch with people more. So I think that has been helpful. But yeah, you just never know who you're touching. I always want to make sure, especially women in, in corporate America, put yourself in a place where you can't be cropped out. Like Nicole, when I move on in my career to do something different or, or whatever happens, you know, I want people behind me to have a, a path to follow, but I want to kind of take that bulldozer and make a path so that when I leave, there's progress that's still possible for other people. All right. Pamela Alexander, Nicole Johnson-Scales, thank you both so much. Really appreciate this conversation. Thank you. Thank you so much, Tess. So as we just heard, mentors can be key to career success, but how to find one? That's our pro tip this week after the break. This spot is brought to you by Eaton Vance, the symbol of advanced investing. What's inside your ETF? With Parametric Equity Premium Income ETF, you know. Inside, you'll find institutional expertise from a specialized team with deep derivatives experience. 
Get to know what's inside PAPI, the symbol of alternative income, at eatonvance.com slash symbols. Before investing, prospective investors should carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. The current prospectus contains this and other information and is available at eatonvance.com. Read the prospectus carefully before investing. Not FDIC insured. Offer no bank guarantee. May lose value. Not insured by any federal government agency. Not a deposit. Investments involve risk. Principal loss is possible. Distributed by Foresight Fund Services, LLC. So we just heard from Pamela Alexander and Nicole Johnson-Scales about their experiences with mentorship. But if you want to find a mentor today, that process looks a little different than it used to. That's why for our pro tip today, we wanted to speak with our life and work columnist, Ray A. Smith. He writes about management and careers for us. Welcome, Ray. Hi. So among the ways many of our careers were, you know, upended by the pandemic is the loss of opportunities for mentoring. At least it it has seemed that way, you know, the the quick dash to coffee for some advice, the the last minute one-on-one to go over best practices for navigating the career ladder, you know, the poof, they were gone. But you found some very persistent workers who found some less traditional ways to seek out mentorship. Is it fair to say it's a version of the cold call? Yes, it is a version of the cold call test. And it's interesting because these young professionals are using, whether it's LinkedIn or social media, to reach out to rock stars in their industry, basically. They're really doing what people would tell you not to do in the past, just messaging someone. So I suppose this really isn't entirely new, right? I mean, people have been asking veritable strangers for advice I don't know, forever, but but it, see, it does seem like the pandemic made it perhaps more acceptable, more normal. That's it. You hit it right on the head. It did make it more acceptable because there wasn't the opportunity to go to conferences or trade shows where you could meet these people or at least um, be introduced to someone. And so that led to creativity on, on, on the part of these younger professionals, but also in a way, a little bit of desperation. A lot of these people were starting jobs where they had never met their colleagues in person. It's almost like if I was a young actor and I was in this thread of sort of, you know, community theater people and suddenly Viola Davis shows up and she weighs in and I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> and And then I may be sort of thinking, I'm going to just, I'm going to just try her. I'm just going to email her or DM her. And, you know, she'll never get back to me, but I'll, I'll try her. And that's, that's what these young professionals did. To me, that's, that seems, and, and you've kind of touched on this, that it's very generational, right? Yes. And that there is a younger generation that just feels more comfortable doing that. And so then I suppose, kind of the question for me would be, how do you outreach to people who maybe are, are not in your generation, whether it's Viola Davis or or anyone else who might not be used to getting requests for help and, and mentoring from, you know, random people sliding into their DMs. It's a healthy, smart admiration of that person's work and also being really specific about, I love that research you did on, on this very specific technical topic, mm. or I love the talk you gave at TED Talk when you said X, Y, and Z. That really resonated with me because that's the field I'm going into, or that's the kind of research I'm doing. It's really being targeted. It's doing your homework. It's doing your homework. That's exactly it, Tess. It's doing your homework. All right, Ray Smith of WSJ's Work and Life team, thank you for being our mentor today. 
<laughs> Thank you, Tess. If you feel like the last couple of years took a toll on your mental health, you are hardly alone. We experienced a collective global trauma that spanned our lives at work and at home. And it has sparked conversations about stress, burnout, and other issues, including in the workplace. So next week, we will talk with social psychologist Amy Cuddy about why the pandemic has been so destabilizing and the role of employers in helping us cope. And we'd love to hear from you. You can reach out to us at aswework at wsj.com and tell us how you've dealt with the stress of the pandemic and how it's been handled at your job. You can also find us on Twitter at WSJ Podcast, and I'm at Tess Vigland. As We Work is a production of The Wall Street Journal. Charlotte Gartenberg is our producer. Amanda Llewellyn is our development producer. Jessica Fenton is our sound engineer. Our music was composed by Hansdale Sue. Kateri Yoakum is a Kristen Wiig doubleganger and The Wall Street Journal's executive producer of audio. I'm Tess Vigland. See you next time. <laughs>